Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. Always excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. It has been a weird uh, attempt to get home from spring training. Uh, Just very briefly, I promise I'm going to be mostly about baseball, but just to, to give you the lay of the land, a little bit of setting. Uh, for those of you that don't follow me on Twitter, and you should, by the way, at Drew Creaseman, but uh, I tweeted this out, ran into a bit of car trouble on the way back from Scottsdale, got stranded in Albuquerque, uh, so talking to you now from Albuquerque, waiting to see what happens with the car, uh, planned on filing some stuff yesterday that's all coming in today, but you know, I, I missed most of that six-inning comeback, whatever that was in the ninth inning. For, in a again, it's spring training, whatever. But did have a few little bits of news that came out uh, while I've been dealing with all that. While I've been on the road or stuck for a moment there, literally on the side of the road. And so I figured I'd talk about some of those, uh, get a little bit of spring training talk in, and then answer a couple of questions, and we'll have ourselves a podcast. So first couple of things, just some news that came out. I guess the the, the biggest one, hard to qualify any of these as enormous news, but I guess a bit of a surprise that Kyle Freeland was named opening day starter for your Colorado Rockies. The safe bet, I think, would have been Armand Marquez. He's done it before. His numbers, uh, obviously, you know, over the years are a bit more exciting, especially in terms of strikeouts. Though when you look at ERA plus, actually Kyle Freeland has quietly had the the better career, just barely, but still it, it technically has. And so you've got uh, this situation now, which is really interesting because yeah, Marquez coming off the All Star game and and always been the guy that's been tabbed by people like me for years. You know, when people when people ask who's going to break out, who's going to be the guy, if any Rockies pitcher could win a Cy Young award, who could it be? And that answer to that question for three four years in a row has been Armand Marquez. Now. Kyle Freeland actually did get close to winning the Cy Young Award at one point, and so it shouldn't come as a total shock that this guy is getting the ball. But why make this decision? Why do it now? What exactly is this about? And how much does it matter? Let me start with that last one. Honestly, not very much. Uh, Maybe that undercuts the entire conversation I'm about to have. (laughs) But in a lot of ways, like, it's a designation. It, it can be an honor. It, guys guys can take it seriously, and, and it can mean a lot to them. But from a baseball number crunching, data analytics, all of that stuff, like in between the lines, the Rockies putting Freeland one, Marquez two, you know, it's kind of like when we really get into it over who's batting seventh versus eighth in the, the batting order. Sometimes your leadoff guy matters. Sometimes your, your cleanup guy matters. But ultimately, over the course of 162 games, you just need good hitters. Like Whatever order you put them in, you need them to be good. It's kind of the same thing with the rotation. Like It doesn't really matter who's one through five. It does a little bit, obviously, it, you especially if that fifth spot in your rotation is a big question mark. You can bury that a little bit. You, you don't always need to use your fifth guy, depending on when off days are. So you, you, you want to stay away from having that guy pitch as many games as the others, depending on your rotation. But ultimately, 
you know, one, two, and three, we use these as designations to understand the quality of, of types of pitchers and what you might expect out of a one, a two, or a three. But who pitches on what day? There are almost all of them going to get the same number of starts over the course of a season if they're healthy, stuff like that. So this this really is a lot of like symbolism and maybe a bit of trying to instill a, a kind of leadership and hype momentum going into the season. So back to the other questions, what is it about? Why do this, right? One of the things that I'm writing about this, I actually talked to Kyle down at spring training and you know, he really is starting to embrace more and more of a leadership role. And I think Kyle's always been a natural leader, but that's hard to do when you're the new guy on the team, when you're the young guy on the team, no matter how well you're pitching. You know, it's just his second full season of Major League Baseball where he was basically leading the team on the mound into the postseason. And it just kept happening that he was in those big games and that he was performing so well in those big games, most famously, most notably. And I always love pointing out but it, because it tells you a lot about the guy is that wild card game where he outpitched John Lester in Wrigley Field, right? Winningest pitcher in postseason history. And Kyle Freeland went in there and didn't blink. And so, you know, if you really did want to look for an inside the baseball lines, like what are they thinking here? Armand Marquez has been more prone over the last couple of years to those bad games, to those blow-up starts, to those days where he's, he just doesn't have it, right? And I, I don't think he'd have that on an opening day necessarily, though, you know, he's pitched on opening day before and been mostly fine. But this is one of those things that, you know, certain analytics and numbers guys totally roll their eyes at. But Kyle Freeland's a big game pitcher, man. He just is, you know, and, and for everyone – and I oftentimes defended John Gray against the accusations that he wasn't a, a big game pitcher, but I think it would be hard to say that he was, right? I, I think it's, it's like, oh, he's only pitched in a couple of really big games. I understand he didn't do well in those, especially his one big wild card experience, right? That did not go well for him. And I understand, you know, some of the people looking over Texas Rangers going, John Gray, opening day starter. Hmm. You know, and I, I hope he does incredible. I hope John Gray throws a no-hitter against the Blue Jays. Seems un That's a great hitting team, so it seems unlikely. But that's, you know, the kind of conversation to have there. And Kyle Freeland, the big-game pitcher, he's shown it to us. He's shown it to us before. In fact, you can go back to him making his major league debut. When? At Coors Field against the Dodgers, doing the thing. And, and he went like seven strong, one run. And all of the stuff was into it. And the Rockies, actually, if you'll recall back then in 17, they like manipulated essentially the pitching rotation to make that happen. They began that year, I want to say on the road in Milwaukee. I know they were on the road. Pretty sure it was Milwaukee. They started in Milwaukee a couple of years there. And they played their first three games, right? And Kyle Freeland very easily could have been named the third starter that seemed like a, a reasonable place for him to slot in based on where the Rockies rotation stood at the time and any number of other factors and whatnot. But the Rockies held him one more game back so he could make his major league debut pitching in front of his hometown fans and friends and family and for the team that he grew up cheering for and against the Dodgers. And he went out there and he did the damn thing. And so I think the Rockies are trying to kick off a new era of Colorado Rockies baseball. 
and do it in the same way that they kicked off that run in 17 and 18, where they were good to great. You know, obviously they were never as good as the absolute best teams in baseball. But during that stretch, I think they were the fourth best team in the National League during 17 and 18, and even a distance into 19 until things really fell apart. And so they're trying to get back to that spot. And obviously, you know, you're going to need the talent to take you there. You're going to need a lot of things to line up to ultimately get there. But starting with having this guy who really now is at the age and the experience level where he can be a leader more in, in more ways than just how he goes about his business and, and how he competes, he can be a bit more vocal. He can say, hey, look, I've, I've done this. I've, I've experienced these things. I've gone through the course field gauntlet. You know, these guys trust him. And even in another way, it might be a challenge to Marquez, who, quite frankly, after his appearance in the All-Star game, was not great last year. You look at his overall numbers, and you would not guess just based on that that he was an All-Star. Now, he absolutely deserved to be there. He had a great first half. He's been really good for a while, as we've talked about. And he's never been below average. But ultimately, he's actually had quite a few better seasons than the one he had last year, ending at an ERA plus under 110. And so you challenge him a little bit to say, hey, you know, Kyle doesn't strike out as many guys as you do. And he had that one season where he was just truly, truly bad. And Marquez has never been that. But... Freeland really goes out there and competes and never gives anything away. And Marquez in the past has been someone who's who's given stuff away. And so I think that sets, sets an interesting tone and sends an interesting message for both of those guys in the beginning. Kyle, you are a leader on this team. We expect you to be the guy who goes out there and sets the tone for how we operate as a baseball club even if Marquez is the safer bet to have the best numbers at the end of the year, though I'm not counting Freeland out for a big year. Marquez can see that challenge and say, okay, that's what I need to become then. I need to take my stuff and ability to dominate it and try to match that with Kyle Freeland's consistency and competitiveness and unwillingness to give anything away. And I think that's a really... Interesting thing that the Rockies have done. I wasn't necessarily expecting them to do it when I was asked the question every time, who's going to be opening day starter? I just went, Marquez, right? Probably should be. But I like this. I like that, again, this is one of those little things that you can do to try to squeeze a few extra W's out of the season. And again, it's not because of the order of your rotation, but the mentality of your ball club. And he showed an example of exactly... What we all know can be the case, but what he is when he's at his best in that most recent outing against Seattle, Freeland goes five and a third, three hits, no earned runs, only a couple of strikeouts, but just pounds the strike zone. 53 uh, 53 pitches, 37 strikes, 53 pitches in five and a third innings. Now, some of that's, you know, Seattle's very aggressive and it's spring and all of the, the, the caveats that apply, but that's something that we've seen free do before, right? Be incredibly efficient, just attack the zone, give nothing away, make guys beat him. And, you know, more often than not, when he's going well, 
It doesn't happen like that. And so, yeah, good on Kyle for getting that. We'll see how it works out over the course of the season. I don't think we're in for any other surprises. I'm not even sure there could be surprises beyond that. Again, it's like, do you want to go left, right, left, right in your rotation to do things with other teams starting lineups or other managers? You can. Honestly, with rotations, too, because guys get hurt or or off days happen and, and you want to get your best pitcher back in there sometimes, that all gets kind of blown up by, by a month into the season anyway. But I wouldn't be shocked if the other kind of thing that they can do with starting with Freeland is you can go Freeland, Marquez, Gomber, Sensatella. Cool. So you've got left, right, left, right, and then right, obviously. So I I think it'll be something like that, you know. um, But again, uh, how that all lines up. The opening day starter thing, though, is is an interesting conversation, and it's, it's cool for Kyle Freeland to get in there. Other little bits of news, roster stuff stuff that hasn't been incredibly surprising. Bud Black telling me that Jake Bird wasn't going to make the team, and then Jake Bird went out there and got absolutely wrecked. Uh, that's a bummer, but I do think he's going to be an interesting guy to keep our eyes on uh, in the bullpen. He's going to go down to AAA. He's going to work on some things. He's had some really good numbers for about a year and a half, and Buddy was very positive with me, saying, I think this is a guy who's going to you know, contribute to our club. If he just keeps doing what he needs to do, he's going to pitch in the big leagues this year. And he had very similar things to say about Justin Lawrence, who I'm sure a lot of you saw will not be starting the season with the big league club. And and this is really interesting, too, because, you know, they're going to take Ashton Goodell, who gives them an element that they need, which is someone who can go multiple innings, especially early in the season, early in the year where you really are pacing yourself for the marathon of 162 games. You need those guys who can pitch two or three innings, sometimes when you're just getting your ass kicked. Like, and I know a lot of times fans don't want to think, usually, you know, fans and, and even as media, sometimes players and managers, when you're thinking about the season, when you're starting to strategize things out, you tend to think about what you're doing. You're trying to maximize every way you can win every single game, right? But you can't win every single game. You have to be prepared for losses, and you even have to be prepared for blowout losses or games, those games where your starter goes out there and he doesn't have it, and he's done by the fourth inning, and you're down eight to two. Now, that is not a good spot for Justin Lawrence. You don't, that is the worst place to put Justin Lawrence, a guy like Justin Lawrence, right? Or even, you know, a, a debuting. Jake Bird, these types of players. But a guy like Ty Block, who it looks like is going to make the roster as well. I'll talk about him in just a second. But Ashton Godot is the other one who, you know, we've seen some things from. I still, I know Bill Schmidt really likes him because he's acquired him like five times. <laughs> For those of you that don't know the story of Ashton Godot, he's technically been the, a part of like seven different organizations, but uh, he's gone back and forth from the Rockies to the Reds a couple of times, but uh, he was originally a Bill Schmidt scouted guy, right? And he's like six foot twelve. The guy's enormous. Uh, he he's got a pretty good mix of pitches. I've never been super impressed with the stuff, and and the numbers have never been especially exciting outside of one stretch in Double A, but. He also does tend to avoid getting totally blown up. And, you know, we've seen more of it this spring where, yeah, you know, if he makes a mistake, it's going to get punished by a big league hitter. 
but you do need those guys to come in and eat up two or three innings, especially, like I said, early in the season, so that your wipeout arms, your guys like hopefully what you what you're really hoping to get out of Jake Bird and Justin Lawrence, both of whom I'm hoping get opportunities to close games down in AAA, especially Lawrence. And, and I think that could be really big for them because you don't want him doing that right now at the big leagues. That's not that's not the spot. He's not ready for that. He's not uh, the numbers are nowhere close to suggesting that. But he could be that one day, or he could be an eighth inning guy by the end of this year. Justin Lawrence could be an eighth inning guy, and so you want him ready to the for those kind of high pressure situations. And it, you want him going down there, closing out ball games. And if he's getting the last three outs consistently for Albuquerque, he's keeping the walks down. He's continuing to show what he can do with his strikeout stuff. He's got a really solid ERA for a month or so. Then it's really easy to start swapping out some of those veteran innings eaters guys that you really do need and getting guys like Justin Lawrence in there. Or if somebody gets hurt or whoever happens to be struggling, that's when you call him into action, right? So Ty Block is another guy who it looks like is going to make the roster and the Rockies are going to have to move some things around to create a roster spot for him, which is going to be really interesting to see what they do there. I know a lot of people thought, you know, maybe are they going to trade one of these extra outfielders, Garrett Hampson, Sam Hilliard, Jonathan Daza, or do you maybe DFA one of those guys and hope that you can re-sign him? I think, well, Daza is the only one you could hope to re-sign. Anyone else would get picked up by another team right away. And so, you know, there, there are a couple of tough decisions that uh, they're going to have to make there, but I do think that bringing Ty Block aboard is the right call because one, Ben Bowden has shown that he still needs more seasoning and polish to be into the, the big league roster. And other than that, you've only got Lucas Gilbreth in your pen as a lefty. And so Ty Block brings two things that you need left-hander and multiple innings. He's also looked very, very solid this spring. You know, there's a long history of guys getting better and coming back after uh, Tommy John. I'm not expecting him to dominate by any means, but, uh, you know, I think he could, again, be a very valuable early season piece. You know, I, I don't think these guys are, unless they're having great years, you know, you don't necessarily plan on seeing all of them block Godot, a few others, I'm sure, by the end of the year. But, here in the beginning, it makes a lot of sense to pace your organization with these guys, give your starting pitching staff uh, the length that they need, you know, so that you can early in the year, just get them out of there if they're eating it, because those are the guys who are going to have to carry your team and you cannot run them into the ground. So having innings eaters out of your bullpen, I think makes a lot of sense, even if the more exciting guys are you know, kind of frustratingly going to have to start the year down in AAA. All right, let's get into a couple of the questions that came in from Twitter and also from my Discord channel uh, over from the Patreon. I got, uh, <clears throat> where do we come in? Uh, ah, yes, Dr. Nicholas Manning. Okay, so I, I went through your first question already. You said thoughts on bullpen choices. I guess I just kind of did that, right? Like, I think it makes sense because the back of the pen is going to be Colome Estevez, Bard. Lucas Gilbreth is going to be right in there. Jolie Chassin is going to be right in there. And here's the other thing that, that's super weird about all of this, right, is that 
the Rockies don't have elite relievers. They don't have any elite relievers. I feel like I say this about every part of the team now. It's kind of like the lineup. They don't have any elite position players other than maybe Chris Bryant. But everyone has the ability to be above average and, and numbers that should suggest that they should be above average. Tyler Kinley is going to be there. You know, he ended out the season really strong. And down all the way down the list of, of all your relievers, again, there's no one guy where you're like, yeah, look out for him. But Kinley, Chassin, Gilbreth, Bard, Bard had a bad year last year, obviously. But and, and there's reason to believe he can bounce back, especially if you've watched him pitch this spring and throw a few extra wrinkles into what he does because the stuff is all there. Again, there's reason to doubt all these guys, but there's also plenty of reason to believe that they could actually come into the season with a very solid bullpen, which last year they came into the season with a bullpen that was on track to set some of the worst records for bullpens in baseball history. And the only reason they didn't do that is because they cleaned it up quite a bit in the second half. And they're going to have these guys, Robert Stevenson, Bob Stevenson, uh, around to do the thing as well. So it is... I don't know if funny is the right word. Uh, ironic that suddenly the Rockies are in a position where there are absolutely relievers on this 40-man roster or relievers in camp who could be on the team, who could very reasonably and arguably be on the opening day roster, but they're not going to be able to make the team because the Rockies actually have pretty quality depth of relief. Not, not the, again, it's not, it's, it's a weird thing to say because they don't have that top level talent, but they've got a lot of guys, a lot of dudes, a lot of arms, and some of them are going to pan out. Some of them obviously will not. You need one guy at the very least to become that dude. And that could still be the undoing of this bullpen. Uh, you know, if Estevez, Colome, Bard, or a guy like Lawrence or whoever can't step up and really dominate, you need one of those in your bullpen. And I don't know who it's going to be for the Rockies, and it might not be anybody. But I don't sit here and look at this list of guys and go, oh, man, you know, there's nobody for Bud Black to hand the baseball to late in games. It's like, we'll find out. But this does not look like the train wreck coming into this season that it was a year ago. Second part of the question, how do you think the lineup shakes out? Uh, yeah, at this point, I think they're pretty much locked into Charlie Blackman in the leadoff. I think that makes a lot of sense. He's the guy with the most amount of experience there. And he had one of the greatest leadoff seasons of all time. Why not just let him do it? Hope he can recapture some of his magic that way as well. Put him in the spot he's comfortable. Chris Bryant's got to be your number two guy. The analytics say that's where you put your best hitter. It just makes too much sense not to start off with those two veterans. You don't have speed in this lineup anyway. Not enough of it to make speed a part of your game. So you don't care at all that your first two hitters are not runners. That's not the game the Rockies are playing this year. Get on base. Hit dinger dongers. That's the game they're playing this year. So you go Charlie Blackman. Chris Bryant, you want to keep the left-right-left thing going. I, I I like McMahon in the three-hole. It's an interesting spot for uh, a hitter because, you know, they, they say that two and four are the most important. There was an old-school thinking that your number three hitter was actually where you would put your best guy. But I think a lot of the reasons why that old-school mentality was there is because 
your three hitter acts as protection for your two hitter, but he's also protected by your four hitter. And so I think actually Ryan McMahon, despite the fact that he still hasn't had an above average season by, you know, OPS plus or, or whatever these other numbers are. And, and, you know, I'm sure there'll be people on the outside that look in and go, Ryan McMahon batting third. They've got a league average guy hitting right in the middle of the lineup. What a joke the Rockies are. First of all, I think he's going to be better than that this year. So there's that. But second of all. I think it puts him in, the, in that position to be so because McMahon will actually have the protection of a guy like CJ Crone hitting behind him. You don't want to mis- make a mistake too. And boy, has he hit some balls hard this spring. So I think McMahon's going to see more fastballs that way. I think he's going to be able to let his power play up a little bit that way. And, you know, if you do end up needing to move him down later in the season, you can. But I just like the confidence of having him right in there as a part of the core and going Blackman, Bryant, McMahon, Crone. The one thing I don't especially love about running it out that way is I do feel like you're burying Brendan Rodgers just a little bit. I've got to bat him fifth in this lineup, which is a fine place for Rodgers. And you need someone, speaking of lineup protection, which, by the way, is a thing that I really do think is real. Not huge, but real. You need Brendan in there protecting Crone. Crone needs that protection and getting worked around and all of that. And so you don't want to go straight to Rodgers. But I worry because I think a lot of good came from And In fact, I actually talked to Brendan about a lot of good came from having him bat second a lot of times last year. He hit second a lot of times this spring, and he really enjoys it. And again, again, the protection of the guys behind him and knowing he's going to see some fastballs. And if he's in here batting fifth for the Rockies, and I do think that the next guy has got to be uh, – well, I'll get to that. I think it's got to be Elias uh, – Elias, I believe it's correct way to say it, uh, Diaz. And – you know, especially just as they're going out, he's hit some big old dinger dongers as well. And I hope that's good enough protection for Brendan because you don't want to make a mistake to him either. Maybe it's Randall Gritchick is the guy. And and by the way, at the bottom of this lineup, you're just going right, 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 right. Because I, I don't have Sam Hilliard getting regular starts. Uh, he's hit some balls hard this spring, but he's also striking out still way, way too much. And I think if the Rockies were sold on Sam Hilliard as an everyday starter, they would not have traded for Randall Gritchick. And so I think you've got Gritchick or Diaz behind Rodgers. Just based on what I've seen, you're good either way. Based on the numbers, Gritchick's lack of on-base worries me just a little bit, though I'm not sure if it's good to put him uh, further down or further up in the lineup because of it. So you can put either one of those guys next and then – you're burying uh, <laughs> poor contact, slappy, hitty, shortstop Jose Iglesias down at the bottom of your roster. Though I do think that'll be interesting, too, because while he certainly doesn't have the speed element, he could act in the nine spot, which I'm going to have to get used to, the the pitcher not being in the nine spot. Uh, I think he could be a very good uh, kind of old school type of leadoff guy, but obviously it's not leading off, but you, you know what I mean? So they, they used to call the nine spot, the second leadoff guy, uh, sometimes in the American league. So, so he could do that. Uh, and then I do think you're going to have, um, you know, at DH and sometimes in right field, Connor Joe 
is going to be in there as well. So uh, I realized I left out a spot. I was like, how did I get to nine? All right. I did an old old school National League thing in my head and forgot that there's going to be a DH in there. And so can Connor Joe be that? Now, I don't think Connor Joe works great as protection for a guy like Brendan Rodgers because he's more of an on-base guy. He's got pop, absolutely, does Connor Joe. But I like him, if he's not going to lead off, which he's not with Charlie Blackman in there, I like Connor Joe down at the bottom of the order as well. Maybe he bats ninth or Eighth, he can get on base in front of the contact guy, Iglesias, though you, you run into the potential double play issue there. You can't plan out trying to stay out of double plays, but still. Uh, ultimately, you know, again, it's going to go right, 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 right down there at the bottom of the lineup. There's no way of getting out of that. But you can mix it or that part around based on who's going well, whether it's Diaz, Joe, uh, Gritchick. And I'm assuming you'll just kind of see Iglesias penciled in there every day, ninth. And if he's a guy who hits two, what's funny about that, and we should have this conversation in more detail sometime. He's going to become my new Rhyme Altapia. Jose Iglesias could hit 300 this year, and it shouldn't shock anybody. He's done it before. He's it strikes out 12, 13% of the time. He's a veteran hitter makes great contact and he's going to course field. Now people will say it's an empty 300 and the, you know, the, the stats won't give him a lot of credit for it, the advanced metrics or whatever, but that's absolutely on the table. The guy, the Rockies could have a guy batting ninth. Who's I'll tell you this. I'll, I would take the over on 275 for his batting average, whatever that means to you. You know, so I, I also don't think it's going to be the case that you're going, well, the Rockies sure can rake, you know, one through seven. But when you get to those last couple of guys, no problem. Right. I think Iglesias is going to be a contributor to this offense. Just he's the only guy in there who can't hit home runs, really. And he's had a couple of years. I think 11 is the most he's ever hit in a season. Uh, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> but it's going to be a very, very interesting lineup that's for sure uh, and we'll see if they can acquire a lefty at any point hey michael conforto is still out there right uh so <laughs> got a few other questions that came in here on discord i wanted to get to very quickly tim asking if there's any indication of what's going to be done with the scott van lenten position uh, you know the the new head of analytics who i'm sure you all have heard came in the went uh, and, and twas not here for long but i haven't heard anything specifically on that i don't believe he's been replaced at this point uh, I'm pretty sure everything as of now is running through Zach Rosenthal's office. And, you know, you you want somebody in that spot to be sure. But you have a lot of facilitators in the front office. There are a lot of people to run that data through. Interestingly enough, you know, he was kind of the head of a team. But the the team remains. All of the people doing the day-to-day -day work of, like, crunching the numbers and providing the data – they're all there. It's just now that instead of giving it to Scott Van Lenten, who would, you know, interpret it all and give it one big package, he would be the guy that would go in and sit with Bill Schmidt, depending on the size of the deal, maybe Dick Monfort and Clint Hurdle, and have that conversation. Now they're probably just going to give it all to Zach Rosenthal for right now, you know who does do other jobs and, and you may be worried about some things getting missed out. Like they should have somebody in that role. That should absolutely be a role and, and they should hire somebody. Right. But, but I, I, I think some people think, Oh, well, 
if they don't hire someone for that, then they've got nobody doing analytics. Like they actually do have a lot of people, a lot of new people still doing analytics right now. Um, the, the structure of it is just going to be a, a bit wonky for a bit. Uh, Jeff asking the question, uh, said, I've been w wondering, and maybe they aren't saying anything publicly, if they're doing anything different in 2022 to address the hangover effect or just doing what they've been doing. You know, th this is something that's definitely been an ongoing conversation. Uh, I know Charlie Blackman has been really big about making sure that they have different kinds of pitching machines that they carry with them everywhere that can more accurately simulate the types of movement they see at sea level versus at altitude. And I talked a little bit with CJ Crone about this, and I'm going to write about it for milehighsports.com. And he was saying, you know, there's there's definitely some of that, and you can tell, but he's not a big machine guy in general. So he goes, you know, I, I think that probably is really helpful for the guys that are. But for me, I really got to see the ball coming out of the pitcher's hands. You know, and he told me coming in, he'd heard about all this. He's a real studier. You know, he, he was, you know, planning things and trying to make some adjustments when he went out on the road. And he's saying, I, I was just overdoing it. I, I think I thought too much about it, right? And so that's one of the very difficult things about this whole dynamic for this team is that the course hangover effect impacts everybody differently. And everyone's going to have a different solution to it. So the team can't just come out and say, hey, make sure you guys are all doing X, Y, and Z. It's going to help you hit better on the road. Because giving CJ Crone more information about doing things differently on the road, and he didn't say this directly. I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but he, you know, he's kind of messing me up a little bit. And you look at his numbers, his first month with the Rockies, he didn't hit well. You know, I think I told this story before, uh, maybe on a space or something, but I remember somebody leaning over to me in the press box, and I thought this was ridiculous at the time, but. Based on what he was doing, it wasn't totally out of the blue. Somebody just leaning over to me at a game at Coors Field early last year, in the like third week of the season, and CJ Crone swung at a pitch that like bounced in the left-handed batter's box, right? And this person said to me, like, "You think his career is over? You think he's done? You think he's washed?" <laughs> and again, I, like I thought at the time, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, but. I couldn't say 100% for sure because another month, like the first month he had last year, and then you really did have to start wondering because it was, you know, it was bad there for a minute. It was ugly. You, he was guessing at stuff. Now, of course, CJ ended up having the best offensive season of anybody on the team last year, and that's why you don't come to conclusions based on those kinds of small sample size data. And, and you don't always know what's going on with a guy. Was he swinging and missing because he no longer knows how to swing a baseball bat? Is he physically off? Is he mentally off? Is he guessing wrong? And I would imagine some of this is what went into it as he was talking to me. And he said, you know, I was just overthinking everything. After a while, I just went back to my game. I just went back to doing what I've always done throughout my career. I stopped thinking about Coors Field and on the road and all this other stuff. I just started being CJ, you know. And CJ, as it turns out, was very good. And this spring looks to continue to be very good. The guy's always been the perfect fit for Coors Field. He didn't need to change a damn thing. Got to be aware. The pitches move a little bit differently. But some guys, you know, Charlie Blackman's no slouch of a hitter. If he's out there going, I need a machine, or I think multiple guys could make use of a machine that can help us do this stuff, that's a good 
tool to have, right? And so I think the approach has become more and more nuanced over the years. Like more study and data is out there. I hope that's what the people who used to be working under Scott Van Lenten but are still in the organization are doing right now, among other things. But I do think this is one of the most important questions to be answered. And I think for a long time, too many people thought that there was some kind of one-size-fits-all answer to the question. Get sinker ball pitchers who don't let the ball get hit in the air, right? That was a big thing. Get high con. I, I fell into a big trap, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I, I for a long time believe get a bunch of these low strikeout, put the ball in play guys. You know, I looked at what happened in DJ LeMahieu's career and, and some of these other guys who put the ball in play. And at times when guys like Tapia were going really well, right? And you would say this, if you had a bunch of these guys on your team, you could create havoc, but it never worked out that way. But I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to it. I think so much of how each individual player and it affects pitchers as well as hitters, sometimes even more so depending on the pitcher, Guy like Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, these guys are definitely affected by it. And so it's going to be more about learning individuals, really figuring out some key factors. Um, but you can't, you've got to have that nuanced approach to it. You can't say, well, everybody hit off this machine and we should be better on the road. It's like, hey, this machine is available for everybody. And if you found that you're not picking up spin on the road, maybe try this out. Right. What they need is like 10 more of those types of ideas for everybody. And they've got multiple ones. They just need more of them, even more of them, of things that are available, but not something that you tell guys here, you have to do this because then you run the risk of messing up someone's game like CJ Crone was talking about or like we've seen with players who come in and they were good hitters elsewhere, Ian Desmond, Daniel Murphy, and all of a sudden at this ballpark or in this environment where you're supposed to be the best version of yourself you could possibly be, they're the worst. Marco Scudero, for those of you of a certain age, right? These guys that just come here and they can't hit. It makes sense when a guy comes here and you can't pitch, but when players of that caliber come here and they can't hit, I think it's a dead on giveaway that there's a weird ass thing going on here and figuring out how to avoid the Desmonds and Murphy's and get the crones like that for me is the key to this franchise ever finding their way into sustainable success because you can <laughs> choice of words you can moan and groan and whine about about a money spent all day and you know talent and how much people want to win and all that stuff but if you don't know how to win if you don't know how to overcome your biggest obstacles if you're not even asking the right questions you you can't get there right no amount of being smart in ways that might be successful for teams like Tampa or Oakland or Chicago or Houston or New York or Boston will matter here if you can't answer this question. And so, yeah, 
it, uh, the very long-winded answer to your question, Jeff, is they're working on it. And they're working on it now, in my understanding, as hard and as in-depth as they ever have before. Like, that's a huge part of what this new analytics staff is here to do. And, you know, I think it's also something that Bill Schmidt is very aware of and is here to do. And that's why he made a very clear goal. And he told us out loud, he said at the end of last year, our outfield didn't hit enough home runs. We play, we got to get home runs out of our outfield. And then he went out and he got outfielders who hit home runs. The guy's not, you know, a little straightforward, Bill, but, you know, he's agree or disagree. He's not playing games with us. That's what he said he was going to do. I'm really excited to watch him happen and, and see what's going to go on with this club and the trying to win on basically hitting home runs, starting pitching, and just enough relief that you're not tearing your hair out. Like it's a formula and it's been successful before. It's really all going to rely on those individual human beings. And in a time where the Cincinnati Reds, who had a winning record last year, and we're a couple of wins away from the postseason are out here selling, just selling off pieces for prospects. And when a, a team like Oakland, who again was just a couple of wins away from the postseason, is out here trying to have the lowest salary in the league, they're going to have $30 million salary for their entire team. That's less than... That's less than what the Rockies are paying Nolan Arenado to play against them. It's not, but it's, you know what I mean? It's less than his total contract for the year. Nolan Arenado will make more money this year than the entire roster of the Oakland A's. That is embarrassing. You know, so in this age where we just had this lockout, we're probably going to have another one someday because of stuff like this, where owners can so blatantly not care about winning and care only about money. Like, yeah, you do have to just kind of give a little bit of credit to the Rockies for going out there, spending on Bryant, McMahon, Gritchick, Colome, even Iglesias, and saying, hey, look, you know, it may not be the best roster in the world, but we're going to try to win as many games as we possibly can this year. See what they got. Got a few days left to run over the final stuff on the roster. A few other things. I want to dive into a couple of key players a bit more deeply. And uh, yeah, then start giving predictions, right? We're getting close to that time. God, I'm going to have to come up with the number, my official number, my picks for best player and, and pitcher and all of those kinds of fun things. Uh, predictions. Ah, predictions. <laughs> Always a mixed bag doing predictions, but they can be fun. So we're going to have fun with it here. Appreciate you all for listening in if you do have any questions that you want me to answer make sure you're hitting me up on twitter at drew priestman uh slide into the dms on twitter if you want to hear about the discord channel where you come and hang out talk baseball with us 24 7 have a good time and not be you know mocked for being a fan of a baseball team so thank you everyone for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew priestman in here 
And until next time, I will see you. Bye.